but it's a challenge to teach anyone because the food doesn't have necessarily have a recipe card. A lot of it's by feel and, and by taste and, uh, and touch. So teaching someone who's brand new how to use a wok, how long to cook it for, that's the really hard part. It's a really, um, it's a really tactile kind of learning process that you can't sort of read in a book. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. They say ignorance is bliss, but knowledge and indeed experience can open up a whole new world of joy and wonder. When Andy Evans first stepped into the kitchen of Rockpool, it opened his eyes not only to the potential for an amazing career in top-level kitchens, but to the different lives, cultures and people that colour our culinary landscape. It set him on a path to be part of one of Australia's most influential Asian restaurants ever. So Andy, you've got an incredible meat program at Spice Temple in tandem with Rockpool Bar and Grill above you. How do you decide between you and Corey who gets the best bit of the pig? <laughs> um, well, it's actually pretty it's, – it works out really conveniently because the guys at Bar and Grill will use – the chops um, and parts of the leg where in, in our sort of Chinese cookery, it's all the secondary stuff is really highly prized. So from trotters to shoulders to, you know, the neck makes some pretty amazing char siu. Um, all the belly fat is obviously pretty highly sought after between the two of us. But uh, for, for a lot of braises, for a lot of Chinese cookery, that, that belly is, is pretty amazing, um, particularly when you get some really amazing pork. True. So it's actually, it works out quite well that the two of us get to use up pretty much 95% of the pig. Neil Perry and the Rockpool brand is renowned Australia-wide, but Spice Temple, well, particularly in Sydney, is kind of hidden unless you know where it is. It's a pretty sexy, deep underground dungeon sort of place. Well, what's it like working in that venue? It's very dark. It's very dark. <laughs> There's no natural light. There's uh, no natural breeze. So for the last sort of 12 and a half years, I don't think I've, I'm quite vitamin D deficient. Um, <laughs> but it's, but it's, it, 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 it attracts a kind of certain type of um, crazy person to work down here for any length of time. And we've had our fair share of um, total nut jobs to all around just batshit crazy people. But it really, um, I, I always say many colors of the kaleidoscope make, make the kaleidoscope so amazing, but it's, it's really, it's an awesome place. It's, I still find it amazing that we get people in here that have not ever been here before since we've, you know, we're 12 and a half years old. Uh, it, it is hard to sort of grasp that, but I guess, you know, regional Chinese food is not for everybody, but the big kind of kick I get out of it is essentially that when they leave Spice Temple, they, they've come in with some sort of pre- um, I don't know, like an agenda kind of thing or, or an idea of what the food's going to be like. And they go, oh, I'm not, I'm going to hate this. And they, and they walk out going, that was really awesome. You know, I tried some things that I never would have tried before. And my waiter was so amazing that they got me to try tofu and, you know, some really weird dry fragrant chilies and some citron pepper that's making my mouth feel really strange. And it's a really cool feeling because they come back again they go, wow, that was really awesome. And then they tell someone else and, you know, it's it's an amazing place. It's it's hard to work in because you don't see a lot of natural light. But um, the winters, you know, make it hard because you come to work in the dark and you leave in the dark. But it's a cool place. As you just mentioned, you're cooking regional Chinese food and Cantonese food is um, 
renowned historically in Australia and it's just about in every town there's a Cantonese restaurant and every city there's many of them. But tell us about regional Chinese cuisine because there's so many regions there, but what are you doing there at Spice Temple? Well, we focus on six sort of primary regions of China. And the, the, the thing about you've, you've got to really understand with China is it's such a massive country. Um, it, it's got so many geographical, you know, weather zones, time zones and, and people and history that it's, I guess it's a challenge for some people to sort of think that, you know, that Nepal and Tibet, are, you know, they're really close to China, but the, the food that comes out of the, the West and Southern parts of, of that sort of region is, is still got bits of it. You go to Xinjiang all the way in the West and you've got cumin and coriander and pistachios and rose water alongside of, you know, stir fry duck and, then moving through the central part, you know, you're going up to Mongolia and it, you know, you're going through wheat and potatoes and really hardcore rustic food, which is not as refined, but as equally as tasty. But, and then down through the middle, then you're going through Sichuan, Hunan province. And then, which is really spicy. Xi'an, all the Silk Road. If we, we do a couple of regional dinners, which focus on the Silk Road, which is really amazing for some of the guys to have a look at because it's, the, the way that the food changes from east to west is pretty amazing. And then moving on to the east where you've got the really kind of high-end, more refined uh, type of cooking and technique. Uh, a lot of people would tell me that I'm full of shit, but it, it, I think it, it's true that the, on, on the eastern sort of side is, you know, you've got Hangzhou to, to, to Shanghai and then down to, down to Hong Kong. It's just a, a lot more refined and there's a lot more technique in it whereas you go further west and you get into this really kind of country, real hearty, full-on kind of flavours, whereas the, the east coast can be a lot more – is a lot more well, – you've got sea for a start, so you've got a lot more fish and um, ocean sort of dwelling animals that rather than you do inland. So inland is much more kind of dried dried seafood and that sort of stuff. But it's an amazing place to, to visit, uh, very challenging. Obviously, at the moment, it's really, really hard. Um, when Neil and I and Sarah Swan went into 2008 to go and have a little wander around for three weeks, uh, we just ate two lunches and two dinners every single day and had local guides take us through all the embassies that were around in Hong Kong, Shanghai and uh, Beijing. And it was really incredible to see the, the, the change in technique and flavour profile from all these different regions it was it's quite amazing and it's really eye-opening when you come to spice temple and see it for the first time because it's so different to cantonese food what's been some of the challenges for you in um interpreting the different uh food from all different regions in in china for the australian palate i think um the australian palate is actually pretty good we, we're really lucky because we've had uh southeast asian food here in in well, in New South Wales for a really long time. Melbourne's still really, really good. Queensland is sort of really getting there. There's not a huge amount in South Australia that I've seen, and and Perth is still, you know, still a little bit stuck in the Canto stuff. But it's really they we're really lucky that um, Southeast Asia is so close to Australia. So people have been exposed to Thai, Viet, Cambodian food, Malay for quite a long time. And people go, oh, you know, I really like, you know, apart from the emperor, Nazi Goring, you know, the ad from Telstra, that was, was pretty funny. But it's it, people really, um, people really still really enjoy it. And I think it's a really popular food because it is, so, unfortunately, it does seem to be sort of cast as quite 
you know, affordable, whereas sometimes you know, it, it's not particularly, it's past simple because we're using the same sort of produce as Corey's doing at Bar and Grill, which is horrendously expensive. But it's it's really challenging to say to people, hey, listen, can you please pay $65 for this piece of um, coral trout, which, which is just steamed with ginger and shallot? And some people say, are you serious? That's crazy. But I say, well, it's costing me $32 to put it on the plate. Um, and the guy, Ben Collison, is hand line fishing it. Out of, out of Queensland in the wet, wet Sundays and beating off sharks and pirates and God knows whatever else in little tiny dinghies to go and get it. And the texture of the fish is just, is just amazing. It's just, it's just such a well looked after product. And people, I think, are, you know, after 12 years of being down at Spice, they really kind of get it now and they go, you know, this is really amazing. I heard some local Chinese in my, in my own area and maybe they do something sort of similar, but this is just so really clean and and the flavors are really bright and i think that's what people take away from the food that we do here at spice um sometimes you know we don't get it right and it's too salty or someone's buggered it somehow but most of the time we try and make sure we get it right but it's a challenge to teach anyone because the food doesn't necessarily have a recipe card it's it's a lot of it's by feel and, and by taste and uh and touch so teaching someone who's brand new how to use a wok how to when to tell when the temperature of the, of the protein liquid is at the right temperature, how long to cook it for, how we're looking at your protein, seeing how fatty it is and how lean it is, it just determines how long and what temperature it's going to go in the oven for or steamer. And that's the really hard part. It's a really, um, it's a really tactile kind of learning process that you can't sort of read in a book. Take us back to the early years. What was the first uh, job that you got in hospitality? Um, my, my first job in hospitality would have, is a, was in a restaurant called Tequila's in Normanhurst. And my, my older brother was doing his HSC, so he couldn't um, continue it anymore because he was doing, I think, three or four nights of the week down there. So he said, oh, look, you know, do you want to do it? I said that they'll pay you in cash and food. So like at 15, <laughs> I was like, yes. See, I was eating my, my mother out of house and home. So she's like, yes, please go and do it. Get some money. <laughs> and it was, um, it was a crazy place. I was a kitchen hand there for, for a while. For, I don't know how long it was. It wasn't very long in the end, like six months. And then I think they closed because the lease was finishing up. But the people there were absolute bloody lunatics. I remember the, there was like the sous chef there was really only young, but he used to wear a wig on the grill. And I remember the, the extraction used to be so strong that when he really had heaps of steaks on, his wig would fly up. And it was really quite funny for everyone else to watch, but he was really sensitive about it. So he was like, shut up, everybody else. It's, on, you know, it's not my fault, I'm losing hair. So it was just my first introduction to meeting just like the strangest and coolest characters you could possibly imagine. Like if there was the food was woeful everything came in a box and it was frozen and he just reheated everything i'm sure somebody must have died or, or something like on the food but it was it was not renowned for its food it was renowned for its you know super cheap booze and and all that sort of stuff it was a but it was a pr- pretty cool place but since then I, and then i just really enjoyed working with the people and then got a job straight out of school because i wasn't sure really what i wanted to do didn't want to go to uni and then worked at asquith golf club for about six or seven months, yeah, and because that was kind of local, and I really didn't enjoy that. Just cooking for for old old white guys and making tuna melts for for ladies on ladies' day. So, <laughs> but my boss there was a really interesting guy. He was he was a bus driver that used to drive a bus um, in the off season from London to Istanbul. What? And he used to tell me this. I know it's crazy hospitality, right? So like you meet these weird people. 
but he used to drive a bus and take people from London to Istanbul. And he used to show me these photos. And I was just like, what are you doing here, man? Like, he's like, oh, you know, I've got to pay the bills. And, you know, this is what's, what's what I've got to do. And I'm like, okay, cool. It, eventually, there was a job ad in the paper for Rockhall. And, um, and he said, look, you know what, you should really go for it. You know, if you, if you really want to progress, then this is the place to be. Um, and I said, okay, cool. I'll go and I'll go and do it. And he said, make sure. But when you go, you you dress nice. So I didn't have any clothes. So I went to Vinnie's and bought myself a twenty-five dollars suit and um, and a shirt. But rocked up to the interview on on one hundred and seven George Street in the afternoon. Um, my resume was like half a page long of of hospitality jobs, and I wasn't sure if I should put tequilas on there or not. Anyway, I stuck it on there. Um, met Khan and and Neil. And I had to go to a, do a trial, and then he rang me back in the kitchen at at um, Asworth Golf Club and said, "Yeah, look, that's great. When can you start?" So I said to my other boss, "I said, oh, look, he wants me to start now." And I said, "Oh, okay, yeah, sorry, chef, he wants me to, he, you know, start now." He's like, "No, you can't start now. Tell Khan to go and piss off. <laughs> Two weeks." <laughs> so I was like, "Wow!" At the time, he didn't really care. But I started then. I started in December '94. Um, and was there for like nine years and had a little break in the middle. And but yeah, it's, it's an amazing place. It set, it set me up for life. Well, what was it like being a, an apprentice in Rockpool on George compared to what your previous experience was in hospitality? Oh, it's not. So, you, you know, like I was watching, I was seeing things that I'd never seen before. I'd seen uh, one, the people were, were in, was incredible there. I felt like I was like popping my cherry every, every week with something new and, and then the produce was, was amazing. Cause it was, uh, it was just stuff that I'd never seen before, you know, whole lambs were coming in all the time. Um, legs of veal, oh, and the seafood program was just amazing. It was, it was really, it was full on all the stuff that was coming in all beautifully lined court. Uh, this, yeah, this, this zero program was, was massive down there and we were doing it all on in a kitchen that really wasn't built to do the kind of numbers that we were doing and the high tech food that we were doing. There was no sous vide machines. There was no fancy equipment whatsoever. It was actually quite a few years before we got a combi put in. So every, every you know, you had a, uh, your fish bench was essentially a wooden chopping board over the sink and you prep all your fish over that. All the pasta was done next to the, next to the guy on fish. Um, there wasn't a deep fryer at the, at the time that we had just had a pot of water with a thermometer on the side of it. Um, then and a grill that had been absolutely beaten to death that like all the metal on the sides was running out and we were busting out three hat food for a very long time in that little, that little tiny space. And, and everyone in there kind of was of the same mindset that it, it was, it was really competitive. Uh, so that if you were really good at what you did, but it was also, there was a lot of, uh, positive reinforcement whenever anyone did something really fantastic. Someone would always say, that's amazing. So it really kind of pushed, pushed you to be a little bit better. It was very different to a lot of the other kitchens that I'd heard of that, you know, that's shit, that's terrible, you know, you know, go and kill yourself, you're a piece of shit. Why, why would you even do that? It was much more like even a calm was a nut job. He, he kind of got along really, really well, but he, um, he, I think, recognized that I was just a little punk and needed my ass kicking in a very, very severe way. So it was good. It was really good for, for me personally, but – He's um, a very, very good cook, very intelligent, and he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But I found that the way that he was running it when Neil was 
out sort of setting up Qantas and, and that sort of stuff that he was really, it was only the food and the service was, was everything and everybody else that was cooking really well, he really gravitated to and was like, right, you know, let's all dive in. And people, we were all doing lots of hours, not like nowadays where you, you're just not allowed to do it, but you did a lot of it because you wanted to as well. You, uh, Neil opened uh, EXO in, in Potts Point and you shifted to that restaurant uh, as sous chef. What sort of transform transformation did that have on you and your cooking? Well, that was a really um, – because the EXO the was a kind of like a version of um, like Wokpool and, and all that sort of Southeast Asian food that Neil really loves as well. So it, we went from Rockpool – which is my first sort of exposure to kind of Asian, really good Asian food. And then we went to EXO and because Kyle, we were already doing shifts there in the early nineties because everyone had to go and do a shift up there when Kylie was running it. Um, so, cause it was so busy up there that they, we'd all have to go and do an extra shift up at Victoria street. Um, I think over November and December, which is cool because Kylie was amazing to go and work with. And then they, it closed for a little while, reopened again. Pete and Barty and those guys ran the floor and it was a really cool, busy, really, really busy place. And it was a kind of uh, a real opener into how different people run different businesses and the kitchen was tiny. It was, you know, everything was sort of held together with, with um, paint tins and all that sort of stuff to hold compressors up for fridges and like real true Neil Perry style. It was like, it was just make it work. You know what I mean? Like, just don't whinge about it. Just dive in and and get it done. And everyone did. Everyone had a. It was a. It was a super cool team. Everyone worked really hard together. And you shuffled around and you could do walks one night and do the grill, and then fry it and larder. And yeah, it was a really small, tight team. And I, that kind of made me think that if you can look after people in a, such a small environment, they'll just stay with you forever. Rockpool has been a part of almost the entirety of your career, but there was a period of time for a couple of years that you left the fold and. Um, joined China Doll in Woolloomooloo. Um, take us back to that time and in that kitchen, what that was like. The, oh, mate, the Finger Wolf is is was and is still pretty crazy. I mean, the guys down there, Frank, who's the head chef down there, used to work at Rockwell for a little while. We've been friends for a really long time. And the guys who were running it, um, Pico Garuda and Barchi. Barchi was the original manager of Spice Temple when it first opened up. So it was sort of three degrees of separation there. But, it's um it's a it's a really massive place and th- this was was converse well the opposite of EXO where it was a really big team, really big restaurant, uh and and sort of doing two hundred and fifty on a Friday lunch was pretty normal. Uh, they do I think they they do they do more than that now because there's just there's so many seats down there and they've got the restaurant that's next door. But it, that was a lesson in how to look after a really big big business and a, and a big kitchen that was just turning over just so much food all the time. Like the, the deliveries that would be coming in every single day would be 20, 30 boxes of, of meat of varying descriptions and fish and just, just so much food. It was just, uh, it was crazy. And, you know, you'd just go out afterwards all the time. So the culture was, was down there. It was pretty, it was a heaps of fun. We used to go out all the time, but I realized that <laughs> to save myself and my liver, it was probably best to, um, probably just, probably leave there for a little while and, and try other things. But it, the, the group of people are the same again that, you know, they've got a lot of Neil Perry DNA in them where it's a really inclusive environment. It's there's, there's no yelling and screaming and carrying on. You're all totally welcome as long as you can provide something, you know, to, to make the business a little bit better. You took a bit of time off and, and went traveling 
through South America. Tell us about that time. Super cool. One of the best holidays I've ever, I've ever had. We went with, uh, well, my girlfriend at the time who we'd, we'd met at, um, at Rockpool as all great hospitality relationships start. They, um, they, it, it was awesome. And we decided that it was someplace that I'd always wanted to have always wanted to go. Cause it was really, um, off the radar for a lot of Australian travelers. I'd never done, um, work experience overseas in London and, Paris, like a lot of other hospitality guys had, had done at the time, everyone was kind of packing their bags and going to go and work in France and, and London to go and learn from all the really good guys. But I, I didn't really connect with that sort of side of the, the business because I'd come from Neil's sort of way of thinking that working in a, in a restaurant like that and just getting beaten down and doing 90 hours a week, I just didn't find that at all attractive at all. And so I was like, you know what, I just want to go away and, and go traveling somewhere really amazing. And I spoke to my girlfriend. I said, listen, what do you reckon? She's like, yeah, that'd be super cool. Um, and essentially it was like, you know, if we can do this and get, stay away and travel together in a country that we only speak of marginal Spanish, you know, we've gone through the worst of it and, you know, we, we know that we're going to make it in a sense. And it was, a, it was a really awesome test. And there was some times where I was just like, oh, my God, this is really hard. And, you know, we fought a couple of times. Nothing too crazy. But most of it, we came out of it as much better people and richer for it. And uh, this, Bolivia and probably Argentina are my f- most favorite countries to visit outside of, outside of Asia because it's the people and the scenery and uh, it's, it's something else. If you haven't been, I, I, you've you got to go. You eventually came back to Australia and joined the Rockpool uh, fold again. Um, take us back to some of the challenges involved in pulling together Spice Temple. Well, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't as hard as it is right now at the moment. I can tell you that. But it's it, it was um, it actually was not that difficult to put a team together because there were so many people that were really itching to do something really different, and we really didn't have a problem in getting people together uh, and uh, getting a really good team together because um, Rockpool on George Street was sort of gradually winding up um, uh, with what they were doing down there. Their sort of operation was really pulling back. Bar and Grill in Melbourne was really kicking on and then the process of building Bar and Grill in Sydney was was taking shape and it was, you know, it was, it was an amazing, probably the most amazing dining venue you know, you can possibly get in Australia. I think it's the, the dining room is, a, is beautiful. Um, but then the, the training involved in getting everyone in and learning how regional Chinese sort of food worked was, that was the biggest challenge because getting someone who's fluent in Italian to speak regional Chinese is quite challenging at the best of times when you're trying to say, no, this is Jiangxi or this is from Hunan. Where do you say Yunnan? No, Hunan. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. But eventually, it, it got to the stage where, where, where Barshi was the manager at the time and, and Neil was involved really heavily with the restaurant on a day-to-day um, basis all the time. You know, he, his, his laptop was in the computer, was in, in the, in the kitchen at the time, which was really annoying because he's on the phone and he's trying to do a million things, you know, like he's a busy guy. So it was just like, chef, can you just move somewhere else? That'd be great. So we can put everything. No, no, you guys piss off. I'm here. I'm, I'm the boss. Yes, sure. Yes. Yeah. No problem. But he's, it was, it was actually pretty cool. It was, and then there was a lot of effort that went into training every single couple of days into everyone going, okay, look, how do you take an order properly? How do you design the perfect 
kind of order? How do you, how do you look after people that are really unsure about what they want to have? How do you look after people that just think this is all disgusting and it's all too hot and weird and it's not like the Chinese that I know. Um, and that was, that was the biggest challenge was getting everyone well-trained enough so that if anyone walked in the door that uh, they could walk back out and have a great time. You know, some people didn't because it was so dark and Neil was always very adamant that the restaurant had to be really dark and really loud. And lots of people were like, well, it's too dark. I can't see. And it's true. I still can't see. (laughs) Earlier on, you mentioned about the um, working relationship that you have with uh, Corey Costello up in Rockpool with um, getting whole beasts in and using different cuts. Tell us about the secondary cuts that you're using and why they're so important to the cookery you're doing. Secondary um, cuts on on any animal are really important in, in Chinese food, not just Chinese food, but Southeast Asian food because of the connective tissue in them. So of all the, of the connective tissue into, in trotters, uh, pork hocks, shoulder, neck, um, you know, jowls, ears, all that sort of stuff. But when, when you take a really long time and a lot of care in braising it very, very slowly in, in, in a master stock or in, in whatever else you're going to be cooking in, uh, the, the reward is in, you know, how much time and effort you've put into that process to make sure that you haven't cooked it too quickly or too fast, so it's boiled down and it's dry. Now you've rendered all the fat out of it and it's horrible. When you have really good chairman mouth pork, you know what I mean? It's not the issue. It's a really hard dish to make because the the skin should be really gelatinous and soft. The fat should be very, very soft and tender, but not rendered out so much that you've got this pool of liquid of fat sitting on top. And then the, the actual belly part of the, the meat part shouldn't be dry at all. So it's a really hard dish to cook because you've got to put a lot of time and effort into making sure that it never boils too fast. And we, yeah, it's, it's, it's really challenging. And that's one of those other things like, because it doesn't have a recipe, it does have a recipe card for quantities, but it's really, it's really tactile and you really got to pay attention to, you know, the, the sound that the pot is making, whether it's in a steamer at a hundred degrees or it's in a steamer at 85 degrees, what the difference is in the temperature of that does to a piece of coral trout um, or, or a whole fish for that matter, or whatever you, you're going to be cooking and steaming. But it's really challenging because at the one time, if you're say, if you're on a prep shift and you've got everyone cooking seven different proteins from chicken breast to chicken thigh to shank into hocks and everything else, there's, you know, there's seven different, cooking times and temperatures. There's seven different master stocks that are all involved in that, that all need to be kept um, seasoned properly and, and stored properly. So it's really, you're wondering, find yourself wandering in the kitchen sometimes and just tasting everyone's stuff and going, right, you know, how's that? And that's not nothing to do with all the vegetable preparation that goes along with it, all the shot oils and the chili oils, making sure that everything's at the right temperature, it's not burnt. It's, yeah, it's a really, it's a real challenge, but it's, it's an enjoyable one. What sort of relationship is um, needed for the amount of pork that you go through uh, at the restaurant? And do you, do you have connections with farmers and and that you work with? We we because we go through so much uh, pork. We were going through very very early days. We were going through um, Melanda Park pork and a few of the other smaller operations, but they just couldn't keep up with the amount that we were using. So we were going through probably. 20 probably at least 20 whole bellies every week um three or four barrels and then maybe eight to ten shoulders every single week and for a small farm that's just it's just not enough 
it's just way too much. It's out of there. It's out of the, you know what I mean? For them to keep up with. So we, what we do now is it's, it's like Corey, we have at Bar and Grill, we have five or six different pork suppliers. And that's not to say that we, we only, we use five because, oh, you know, we, we don't want to give it all to one person. You, you could, but it's in this day and age, it's really kind of handy to have four or five different guys and to have the relationship with them to, and be comfortable to say to them, listen, if you can't do it this week, it's totally fine. You know, I'll get it from Borrowdale or I'll go from there to Gurley or I'll go from there to Otway and in, in, in the Otway Rangers in Victoria. And they go, yeah, cool. That'd be great. That'd really help me out because it hasn't, we haven't had rain. Pigs aren't doing so well. They're a little bit stressed. I don't want to take them to market because, you know, obviously it will be an inferior product. And everyone works together to make sure that when it's great, that everyone can take it. And when it's not so great, that everyone goes, that's totally fine. Keep it on on the farm for another week or so. And you just let me know when when you're ready to um, dispatch again and then, we'll, and then we can take it. Is there a dish or two on the menu that um, that you love um, that has pork at its heart that you can take us through? There's a couple there. there there's 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 a, there's a few dishes that have a lot of pork. There's uh, at the moment. I mean, the the hock at the moment we that we do is pretty amazing. It's it's a it's a four quarter hock rather than a hind hock. And a, lot, a lot of places will use a hind hock because of the size, but I find that as as a dish for two or three people it's it's still a lot of meat and 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 it's a really rich gelatinous meat that's on this so we use the four quarter four uh hock to make sure that it's a, a much smaller size it's probably around about when it's cooked it's about sort of eight to ten centimeters long and about five six centimeters in diameter so it's a really nice size for two or three people to, to share but that's a massive long process and one of those things about chinese food is you're taking something that's really kind of um really well below secondary it's you know it's a third cut it's just above the trotter so there's a lot of labor that's involved in it so you have to bone it out then you have to roll it in in muslin get it really nice and tight tight really nice and tight like a little soccer, like a little football then you have to get that into salted water to blanch and that gets rid of all the the blood takes that out you got to wash that again and that goes into a brazing master stock for about oh, six to nine hours depending on the on the hop on, on the side, uh, then that comes out. It gets rested in the cool room on on trays, and then you then the next day when it's cold, then you unwrap it, then you score it like a Hasselback potato, and then you'll uh, pop it into like a little liquid, which is just a chicken stock and some ginger ginger shallot and a little bit of soy in there to just to rewarm it through. And then it, when you're ready to serve it, it comes out of that little poaching liquid into the fryer, fry it till it goes crispy. Then that goes onto a onto a little serving dish. And then we make the sauce out of um, red campot pepper and curry leaves, which is sort of a bit more kind of Singaporean. Uh, and it's a really deep, dark, rich kind of gravy-ish kind of sauce, but the curry leaves give it a real bright, um, distinctive – I don't know. Curry leaves are amazing. They're one of my favourite herbs in the entire world. And then lots and lots of really red – a ground red camper pepper, which is really fruity. And then that goes out to the table and then the waiter will stand there and, and I'll and I'll have a bit of lime which they squeeze over the top of that. And then the, the waiter will shred it at the table for them in front of it. And that's yeah, like it's taking a very simple thing and turning it into something pretty amazing, but it's quite a, it's at least a two or three day process. You mentioned that um there are recipe cards for the 
um, dishes that you have at Spice Temple, but cooking there is really about feel, taste, and touch. How, how do you teach that to a chef? It's 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 a real challenge because everyone's different. Some person's salty might be someone else's. Like I I, I put more on there, um, and you, you've really got to be careful with with different soys that you use. So we try and stick to the same soy all, all the time, the same shoshi wine, the same rock sugar all the time. So that doesn't change. But as soon as something outside of that changes, like if you're using a different chili paste from a different region in, in China, it can be really salty or it could be really funky. So you've got to be really careful with that. And it's just, it's tasting, getting the guy and or the girl to just constantly taste all the time that they're making something and to go, right, what does it taste like? Does it taste like it needs more? sesame paste or black vinegar or chili oil what does it look like does it look like you if you put that down in front of you and in front of a restaurant and you were sitting down there with your mum and dad and you were showing the restaurant off and saying hey listen this, that looks amazing does that look amazing to you does it smell amazing does it smell you know weird when, when all the deliveries are coming in are you checking to make sure that everything looks and smells amazing because if it's not then just send it back it's very rare very, very rare that we ever have to send anything back because the supplies that we've got are fantastic. But it's really hard to teach that. And everyone gets it wrong at some stage. You know what I mean? Like I'm totally at fault as well. With sometimes you're being really rushed and it's really busy and something's just not right and it'll come back and it'll come back into the kitchen and you'll say, yeah, I'm really sorry. I, you know, I bugged it. Um, that'll have to come up, come off the bill and, and that's my fault. And, you know, you wear it. And then hopefully the next time that you just, you go, okay, well, you learn from it. And if you make it two or three times in a row, then you get a pan to the head, but it's not, not very hard. Not very hard. No, no, I'm joking. Nothing, nothing like that anymore. There's no more assault and battery anymore, but it's, it's more about making the guy or girl cook, chef, whatever you want to call them. Just be really aware that it's so easy to make a mistake and that it's, because of that, that you need to be on your for, on on your good form all the time because it's so easy to screw something up. And for something to taste really amazing to being okay is the matter of a minute or two in the brazing stock. Neil Perry has stepped away from the day to day and is doing other things. But what was it like working with him? What did you learn from Neil? Um, he is amazing. His energy in the kitchen is is something else. It's 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 really super cool because it's just a million miles an hour. Um, he's like the tornado that rips through a state and then leaves it in this total absolute mess uh, <laughs> afterwards. But everyone feels really kind of alive after it. Everyone's like, "What the hell happened there?" It's like, "Oh yeah, Neil was calling service." Uh, and it's it's crazy because it's it's nuts but his energy is amazing his attention to detail is is awesome uh he makes everyone dive in and help out every single section there's no one person that can just stand there and go you know oh that's not my job or that's not my section so you know what buddy you know it is now get in there and, and help this person out wipe a plate fill the glass up with some fresh water do something, you know, change their utensil container or do something else, you know, give them a cold towel. If it's really, really disgustingly hot in summertime, like it is the, the guy, if someone will come around with cold towels and stick them on your head, it's, it's that sort of feeling that um, you're all in this together and you need to make sure that the success of the restaurant depends on how everyone works together, not just on one person. So he's, and he's very generous, you know, with, with everything that he does is, he's very, very generous. It's just, you know, whether he's making truffles and all that sort of stuff, you know, you'd see Khan just at Rockwell some stages just cringing in the corner going, he's serious, man. Like, 
you know, it's fifteen hundred bucks a kilo. Why are you giving this person? It's like, oh, you know, they're great. You know, they're amazing. Let's put some more on. And of course, he's not having to deal with the food costs at the end, at the end of the week. So, but it's it's a really cool way to to run a business. Is there an experience that working with the Rockpool Group? Um, is it? I might start again. Is there an experience that working with uh, Rockpool has given you that sticks with you? Yeah, I suppose like the first few weeks that I had been, at, I started at Rockpool because I hadn't um, really tasted Asian food before. Mike McInerney was the two I see at the time, and um, they they had the red braised pigeon with um, the the just some citron, salt, pepper, and, and lime on in the in the bar, and it was at the time it was a Glenloth bird really nice i'd never eaten pigeon before in my entire life and mike just gave me the gave me the head because we didn't serve the head gave me the head and sprinkled some session pepper and salt and squeeze of lime and he's like well just munch away on that and i was like oh you you, you've gone mad like why would you eat a bird's head and i tried it and i was like my god this is amazing because it was really beautifully master stocked it was really you could taste soy and cassia and ginger and orange peel and then the freshness of the lime and the session on something i was just and then from then i was just like this is amazing i love asian food well for someone who hadn't really tasted asian food all those years ago to being one of the most renowned chefs in the country for regional chinese food um, what is it that you love about what you do it's probably it's a combination of the people that you you get to see come through the restaurant in in, in the kitchen and on the floor and the people that come through and eat as well, and the the amount of people that give you a little bit of a a pat on the back and say this is amazing, thanks very much. You know, I've had such an awesome time and to be part of people's, you know, celebration or or part of their career is is an amazing thing, and it's pretty humbling when you when you look back at it. And people come through the restaurant now, and particularly guys in the kitchen will will come back through and they'll say, you know what, thanks so much for my time here. It's been amazing. Uh, if you go back and look at the the history of Spice Temple and look at all the chefs that have been through, there's been lots, but not because of the fact that we we burn through chefs. It's more because people really enjoy it and then they find something else to move on to, whether whether they want to continue in hospitality or not. But I guess it's just learning how to deal with people and to look after people because it was my first head chef position as well. So I was really flattered that Neil thought of me to for this job and i was i took it really seriously and i thought you know i'm going to turn this into the same place that i felt that rockpool was when i was a a young kid that it was going to be a place for everyone and anything to you know for it to happen and to really celebrate regional chinese food and not to get to fusion or not not go down the the korean path and all that sort of stuff and do but to really stick to regional chinese food and i think that that's really paid off well for us because we're still here 12 and a half years later and still swinging well, um, what you've delivered to our culinary landscape is extraordinary, Andy, and we've loved having you on the Crackling today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. That's amazing. Thanks very much for the opportunity, we go. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.